You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Did a popular travel website actually cover up rapes? so they would continue to get advertising revenue. And today we take a look at one of the most requested topics on the Conspiracy Iceberg, CCA XX1, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. We actually got a lot of stuff to talk about today. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it. Now it is October, and I was bemoaning the fact during World War II never existed, that episode, that I haven't been talking a lot about ghosts in October. So I think I'm going to squeeze a ghost story in here, because there's so many. There's so many ghost stories. This one I thought was particularly gruesome, and I think it's a good way to, I mean, what? It's like a week till Halloween at this point. It's like six days. So let's go ahead and squeeze one in. Now, this one is generally known as the bump in the carpet. So we're going back in time to the 1900s. Well, specifically 1900, that year. And this takes place in a town called Dark Harbor, Maine, which is a real place. I don't know why they would name that that. Don't think they'd get a lot of visitors or people would want to move there. I don't really understand the appeal of living anywhere by the water. It's spooky, especially at night. But anyway, so there was this dude named Slathiel Stoner. Slathiel Stoner. And I will say this, when you try researching anything with the word stoner in it, everything is just a weed joke, especially if you're looking for stoner ghost or stoner house. I was getting all sorts of nonsense. But anyway, so Slathiel Stoner lived in Maine, and he was pretty well off. And he hooked up with this young girl, not like criminally young, but younger than him. And they fell in love, but it was that really like, they they weren't really in love. Like, they got together for whatever reason, and they were constantly fighting. Now, she came from a, she was raised in kind of a different household where everything was really nice. And he just had like a basic house. And the woods had, he had wood floors. Now, they fought all the time, all the time. But the biggest thing they fought over was the fact that the floors were wood and her feet were cold all the time. Now, it is the 1900s. They didn't have heaters. They had, like, fireplaces and stuff. But it's not like you have central heating. So she was... Con- they were they fought over everything. But this was a sticking point. She's like, why don't you put a rug in the in the foyer? I want a rug. I want a rug. And he's like, oh, I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. Like, I'm not a rug merchant. But anyways... They fought all the time over this. So anyways, after a couple of years of this, he's like, you know what? Whatever. He was out doing fish stuff and he came across the market and they were selling rugs. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to all, you know, happy wife, happy life. He went and he got a nice rug and he goes, my wife will like this. And he took it home and he was nailing it into the floor, which I guess is something you do with rugs. I don't know. Like, I always thought they just like laid there. I've never had like... I've, I've either moved into places that already have carpeting, or I just buy like a bunch of throw rugs and just throw them on top of each other. But he's nailing the rug into the floor, and she walks in, and she sees it, and instead of being like, oh, that's so sweet, he compromised, finally, she just flips out on him. And then she says, I hate that rug like I hate you. He then uses the hammer to just beat her to death. He's like, totally done. And he throws her body under the rug, 
Trust me, a ghost is showing up. It's not just a gruesome domestic violence story. He beats her to death with a hammer and throws her under the rug and then nails the rug down on top of her. But she actually wasn't dead yet. She was alive for two days underneath the carpet. Just moving around. She's weakened. She can't like break through the nails or like rip through the carpet or anything. Sure, carpets back then were pretty well made because I'm... They were like expensive and handmade, probably. But so she's wriggling under the carpet and he's just doing, you know, fisherman stuff. And then one of his buddies comes over to visit and he's like, hey, Slathen, what's up, dude? Hey, we're going to play cards, dude. We're going to, you know, hang out in front of the fireplace and tell stories. And he realizes there's this giant lump, a woman-sized lump under the foyer carpet. And so the friend removes the carpet and finds the body and Slathen... I know I've pronounced his name differently each time. His name's actually Slathiel. But anyway, so Slathiel was just like, whatever. He was taken to a mental hospital. To this day, if you put a carpet in that house, it will start to bunch up like there's a lump in the middle of it. And like blood stains will appear on your carpet. That's the story of the bump in the carpet. Now, I read that scary story years ago in my favorite book, National Directory of Haunted Places. I'll have the link below because it's just a great encyclopedia of haunted stories. Now, when I read it back then, I was like, oh my god, that's so scary. As I've gotten older, I realized there's several problems with the story. One, it's it's not true. I mean, I guess that's the biggest problem. When you make a statement that every time you put a carpet down and now bunches up and bloodstains appear, your first thing as a paranormal investigator or a debunker, a skeptic, would say, well, I will buy a carpet and we will go out there and do that. But it's never been like, if it always does it, we've never seen any photos of it. We've never seen any videotape of it. I tried looking up Slatheel Stoner. I couldn't find any record that this guy existed. If I have any, I do have listeners out in Maine. If you guys live near Dark Harbor or Live in Dark Harbor for whatever reason. I imagine it's spooky. I imagine there's crows everywhere on dead trees. But if you can find some proof that this guy existed, that would be awesome. But I can't find that this guy ever existed. I can't find any proof that the murder actually took place, let alone that anyone has tried to replicate something that supposedly always happens. However, I think it's a good spooky story. And that's why I wanted to share it with you guys six days before Halloween. I like spooky stories, but... I also like kind of trying to figure out whether or not they're actually true. I think it's still fun. It's a still fun story. So we're going to jump in to a, a story that's a little less fun here. A little less endearing. Not saying that domestic violence is necessary endearing. But I mean at least that had like a spooky ghost to it. And, we were, and she didn't really get killed because she never existed in the first place. But So there's a website and I'm sure you guys have all heard about it. It's TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor.com. And they're a fairly popular website for booking trips going places i don't travel much but i'm sure other people do and i'm sure they've used TripAdvisor in the past now back in 2017 the milwaukee journal sentinel a newspaper in milwaukee did an expose on TripAdvisor, and what they found was that people were booking trips with tripadvisor.com and they would read the reviews of these hotels and they'd be like four stars five stars they're like this hotel is great i loved going there it was so awesome this one woman using tripadvisor asked hey how's this hotel 55 responses popped up because you can obviously rate the hotel yourself and then if someone asks you can say you can comment on their post 55 responses to her request of how's this hotel 24 of them were great they're like this hotel is awesome 
27 of them were deleted. So people wondered, well, that's a pretty big amount of deleted comments on a hotel. And of course, people could be like, oh, I don't like them down there. Their skin's too dark. Or I don't like them down there. They smell or whatever. You could have just like troll comments. Or it could have... TripAdvisor doesn't allow third-party comments in the fact that you can't say, my sister went down there and it was full of termites. So it has to be an experience you had at that hotel. So they don't allow third-party comments. So it could have been totally troll comments. They could have been third-party comments. But still, that's a huge amount. 27 deleted comments out of a total of 55. What the article was mainly focused on was there were allegations of rape at these hotels, at at various hotels, not in one geographical area, but they would use TripAdvisor, they would go to these hotels, they would get raped, and then they would rate, well, obviously, you know, they would try to, you know, try to talk to the authorities, they would, and it's just like, oh, no, you are just drunk, you just remembered it wrong, stuff like that. They would go on TripAdvisor, and they would review this and say, don't go to this hotel. I had a drink, and I don't have a problem drinking. The, one of the stories was I was there with my husband. We were at the pool. We had two drinks. We both blacked out. We woke up. I felt that I had been sexually assaulted. My husband's thumb was broken, and they, they reported that. They reported that to the authorities, and they reported that on TripAdvisor. The comment was deleted. The woman goes, why would you delete my comment? She's talking to TripAdvisor, and they say, oh, because you use third-party information. And she goes, what do you mean? And they go, well, you said your husband's thumb was broken, and it was the doctor who said his thumb was broken, right? And she's like, yeah, he was diagnosed with a broken thumb. They go, doctor is third-party. We don't allow third-party comment. So that she would take that out. You'd have other, and they still wouldn't post it. You were, and this wasn't the only case. You had, you had a total of three women over the course of three different years report rapes on TripAdvisor. They would say, listen, I was there. The security guard tried to rape me. Don't, do not go to this hotel. It's absolutely horrible. Comments deleted. Post is deleted. It, It doesn't go up on there. The, one of the women who reported a rape there, the TripAdvisor deleted the comment. Seven years later, because she, she was fighting the whole time. They put the comment back up on the site for that particular hotel in chronological order. So it appeared seven years back in the history and the thread was closed. No one could respond to her comment. The question is, is what would TripAdvisor have to gain from covering this stuff up? They're just a travel agency. Like, they're just a website. The thing is, is that the this news article exposed a couple things. One... When you look at hotels on TripAdvisor, they're almost always rated four or five stars. I shouldn't say always, but they're mostly rated four or five stars. Very rarely do you see like three, two stars, stuff like that. They're usually highly rated. A hotel that has, a hotel can charge extra, like 11% more on their price if they have five stars and they don't lose any bookings. Because people see five stars, they'll pay the extra money because it's so highly rated. But how can almost every hotel be four or five stars? That must mean that TripAdvisor is messing with the algorithm. TripAdvisor gets money from resorts and hotels advertising on TripAdvisor's site. They also get commissions on some of these bookings. So they have a vested interest in making sure that the sites are highly rated. They have a vested interest in making sure that these crimes... I mean, and I'm focusing on the rapes because, I mean, honestly, it's the most sensational of them. But there's other things with people having their belongings missing and things like that. 
you have these crimes taking place and people reporting them on TripAdvisor and TripAdvisor burying the comments or deleting the comments for whatever reason. They had another woman who, I think she was the one who was sexually assaulted by the security guard. They just wouldn't put it on there. She kept, they kept saying it has this wrong with it, has that wrong with it. And she kept modifying it and they just, they never posted it. The one woman at least got her story posted up there. But again, it was buried under seven years. Since the article came out, this article, this Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article came out in 2017 in November. Of course, more people have come forward and say that experience happened to me. Not just that I was raped there, but that I had a horrible experience that involved some sort of criminal activity and TripAdvisor took my rating off. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about this story is we talk a lot about conspiracies and we talk about, there are conspiracies that are flat out fake. No pun intended, flat earth. I mean, it is just a 100% fake conspiracy. Then there are the conspiracy theories that are true and that affect people on a daily basis. This is one of them. This is a conspiracy. This is companies getting together and exploiting people's pain and suffering for money. I think most conspiracy, most of the true conspiracy theories out there, most of the true actual conspiracies out there, are caused by human greed. That is the main motivation behind them. Some people feel like they have some sort of moral... They're doing something moral or they just want to feel powerful. But a lot of them, they'll come down to this. And this is a true conspiracy. Of course, TripAdvisor is saying, yes, it is a conspiracy theory. That's not true. But I think sometimes it's interesting to take a look at actual conspiracies that are provable and have been proven. Like the, I believe this has been proven. That affect people. It's very sexy to talk about the reptilian shapeshifters taking over the planet. But sometimes when we talk about conspiracy theories, we do also want to highlight the ones that are true, that do affect people, and are still going on today. The next story I wanted to talk about, it's funny because I had this story prepped to go before I went on vacation. So that was back in August. I had CCA XX1 ready to go. I was hesitant to put it out, not because that I'm afraid that if I record it, I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to disappear or anything like that. I was hesitant because I feel that it's it deals with a particular subject matter that I'm not 100% well-versed on. Now, if you're thinking, Jason, you couldn't even talk about sexy coconuts with any sort of, of knowledge base. And to, to be fair on that... I was kept talking about the coco de mer had like fur on it like a coconut. They don't. As I was getting the episode, when I was finished the episode, I was getting the artwork ready for it. I'm looking at all these pictures. I'm like, they're not even furry. So that's part of the issue of a single person doing a daily podcast. Is sometimes slight details, <laughs> slight details fall through. I guess it has a little bit of fur, but this subject is quite complex. Now, I'm going to have to focus it in into about nine, ten minutes. But when we get to the end, you'll real and I'll, you'll kind of start to see the weaknesses of my personal knowledge in a certain area. And so I would like to reach out to you guys who listen to it, who will have more experience with this, to kind of help me suss it out. Because I, I, I really believe that I figured out what CCA XX1 is. Now, let's go ahead and go on the journey of CCA XX1. It is something that's been on the Conspiracy Iceberg since 2017. So this is one of the oldies, like Aglish Travel. CCA XX1. People look at it, and that's all that it shows. CCA-XX1. 
Just as humans, when we see something mysterious, we want to know more about it. So there was quite a few theories over what this was, just like golf rumors where people were kind of throwing out theories and seeing what was coming up. And it was also one of those things saying, if you talk about this, you're going to get arrested. If you talk about this, you're going to disappear or goblins are going to come out of your vents or whatever. You're going to get blown up by a space laser. So let's start with that. Not being blown up with a space laser. But so one of the theories was that it was the platform. It was basically the operating platform for what's known as the Zuma satellite. Now, the Zuma satellite is a mysterious payload that was on a SpaceX rocket that supposedly failed and the satellite was never launched into orbit. There's been speculation that it's a spy satellite. There's been speculation that it's a killer satellite in the sense that it's a weapon that's sent up to destroy other satellites. There's been speculation of all sorts of stuff. I'm sure people have thought it's Project Bluebeam, which is a theory that holographic aliens are going to appear in the sky or holographic gods going to appear and and it's the start of the New World Order. I'll do another episode on that because that's quite fascinating. But there's a lot of theories of what the Zuma satellite is. The official story is the satellite failed to get into orbit. There was this issue with the actual launch and it basically plummeted Earth or disappeared or blew up. We don't know what the Zuma satellite was. No country has taken credit for launching. It was a private SpaceX rocket. No country has come forward and said, we're the ones who created this satellite. It was a private company that created it. Supposedly, they installed it on the rocket themselves. It had to be done very delicately. So people are like, what's so delicate about this satellite as opposed to other satellites? One thing about the Zuma satellite is people believe that it is up there. But no astronomer, no amateur astronomer has been able to locate it. I'm going to strike Zuma satellite off of CCA XX1 because the Zuma satellite was launched in 2018 and the iceberg predates it. So it it wasn't that. Unless you could say, well, no, maybe it was on the iceberg because the operating system was being installed. But I think we can safely say that the two issues are too far apart for it to be the Zuma satellite. So we can take that off. So then we have the option of CAXX1. So we lost the C, but CAXX1 is a United States Geological Survey well that was dug in Virginia. I mean, that's how much people really wanted to figure out what this could mean. They're like, does this well lead somewhere? Did they discover some sort of cryptid in the well? Is the well full of aliens? No, no, no. It's a well in Virginia. It doesn't match the CCA, the CAXX1, but I, I mean, I pulled it up on my search and I looked into it and I was kind of digging around. It's just a well. That's when I get called a shill when I say stuff like that, but CCA. So what I started to do is I started breaking it down, looking for each individual one. I needed to find them combined, but CCA is also known as the Corrective Corporation of America. It is a private prison group. That is something that was originally tossed around that CCA XX1 was some sort of private prison program where they were going to start rounding up dissidents and throwing them into prisons. I couldn't tie that into XX1. That was the problem. And the reason why I go through all of these options, because I'm going to come up with my conclusion, but you may have a different one. People may say, oh, you're just wasting time. But I like to throw out the different conclusions and why I dismissed them or why I went forward. And and let me say, for the CCA, as far as the Corrective Corporation of America, they're not called that anymore. And I went through documents they had looking for page 21 or chapter 21, or and I couldn't find any connection to that, because XX1 could also be read as 21. 
CCA, as an acronym, also is known as Combat Command. Combat Command was back in World War II. There was this dude who was like, I don't like the way that the army's organized. This actually started in the 1930s, but in 1942, this guy set up this thing called Combat Command. He goes, I don't like the way that everything's organized. I need something that's far more fluid to fight in the field. What he, what he, what, so this was General Adna Chaffee. People had weird names back then. General Adna Chaffee. This was the United States. What he wanted was he wanted a, basically, Chaffee wanted a completely fluid fighting force. If he, if he's like, listen, we need to take this area instead of using like this division and this division and this division. We're going to just scramble it all up. I'm going to take these tanks. I'm going to take these troops. I'm going to take a couple of your guns. Okay, I, I want your Jeeps, your CCA, your Combat Command A. Then he had Combat Command B, Combat Command C, or Combat Command R, sometimes it's known as. And that was their reserve. And so it allowed him to move pieces around instead of having to play with whole divisions, to having to s- s- set in these whole things He'd make mission-specific groups. The problem was is that they weren't very cohesive because you all of a sudden had these infantry soldiers working with this group of artillery gunners, and they had never really met. So they weren't super cohesive. After the war, the the combat command ideology lasted until about the 60s. And then they said, you know what, let's do this thing. We're going to call them brigades. It's going to be kind of the same thing, but you're basically, you will be a brigade. It's not going to be super fluid. Well, we're going to table that one for a second because I want to get to this other one. This other one popped. I just saw this other one pop up within the last two days. CCA can also be known as canonical correlation analysis. There's a paper that came out in 2014. And I thank you to the anonymous user who pulled this up because this was another neat little piece of this puzzle. I had not found this in my own research. Canonical correlation analysis is there's this paper came up in 2014. It is this software that allows you to take a 2D photo and basically match it to a 3D photo. So facial recognition. Before, you would take a 2D photo and they had like a 55% chance of matching it up to a person walking down the street. With this new technology that they've added, they have CCA and then they have PCA, they believe that they can get it up to 85%. So it's like minority report type stuff. You're walking on the street and they're like, hey, we're looking for you, dude. And they see my face and I'm like, ah, and I run away. XX1 in that scenario, though, referred to the mathematical formula. So basically mathematical vectors. So you're like, this vector's X, this vector's X1, this vector's XX1. I thought that was a cool little angle to go on. I went and I looked at the papers. I went and looked up the papers that the Anon had referenced on 4chan. And it still wasn't there for me. Because the XX1 in that scenario was, again, simply a mathematical vector. It didn't have really any impact. It did predate the iceberg, which was a good lead. And the CCA does match, but the XX1 could have been XY1 or X1 or whatever. It didn't have any real bearing. So, like I said, I had this episode prepped a month ago, or more, two months ago. CCA, XX1. I kept going back to Combat Command. I kept going back to this idea of a mobile military force. But then I kept saying that it's called a brigade now. It's nothing. 
And I felt like I had run into a dead end. Then I found XX1. XX1 is, starting in 1994, a reorganization of the army to be a completely modifiable fighting force. It is basically combat command on an entire organization scale. In 1994, there was a pamphlet written up called Force XX1. It goes over how they want to redesign the military to fight the new wars for the coming century. One of the key parts of it is that it needs to be fast, flexible, deadly, and strong. It states that we can no longer afford to have the army of armies. We need to have a small army that's completely modifiable. Depending on the mission... We can pick what we need to do, send them in, take them out. This idea of two armies clashing in the middle of the desert is on its way out. Now, again, this paper came out in 1994, so it was shortly after the Cold War. But these guys get paid to look 100 years into the future of warfare. It's all about technology. It's all about smaller engagements. Before the World Trade Center got blown up by Al-Qaeda... No internal explosions. But before 9-11, they're talking about how to take on these terrorists. The the pamphlet I'm going to link in the show notes, it's fascinating. Because they break down how wars are going to change. They said, the rules of war are gone. We're going to be fighting wars around hostages now. Like, you're going to have a legitimate government taking hostages. The the rules of war are done. It's funny because they don't necessarily say, we're not going to do that. It just says that these things are going to happen. I think it's interesting, so I'm going to quote here for a second. In this paper, he's saying, Force XX1 is defined by five characteristics. Doctrinal flexibility, strategic mobility, tailorability, and and modularity, joint and multinational connectivity, and the versatility to function in war and operations outside of the war. So, you're like, Jason, okay, you have a paper called Force XX1 Operations, which talks about tailoring the army to make it very fast, very mobile, very small, to take these operations and to move pieces around to fulfill different goals rather than moving in an entire army or entire divisions into an area, you could basically send in a small modular group. Isn't that the Navy SEALs? Isn't that Delta Force? No, those are surgical. What this is talking about, this is talking about a hammer. Not the massive wave of troops we've used in the past, but and not the small surgical strikes. This is basically a hammer that would move into the area, devastate the enemy, be as lethal as possible, and sustain the least amount of losses. You're not going to have these huge tank battles. You're going to have these small groups. And you're like, okay, that's fine, but who cares? That's not a secret conspiracy. The fact that the military has been shrinking and trying to become more mobile and more technologically efficient, that's not a secret. And you're right. But Combat Command A, XX1 is. See, Combat Command A was a modular force that was supposedly disbanded in the 1960s. Maybe it was disbanded. Maybe it was completely gone. And maybe Force XX1 is actually a full overhaul. But it is possible. If the if this series of numbers and letters means anything, and if I have if I'm on the right track, I could be totally wrong about this. 
But there may be now a group, a combat command A group, that is a completely modular, small version of the army. You have a couple helicopters, a couple tanks, some engineers, some infantry, some demolitions. You have these specialists. You have a small version of what you would consider to be an army. But but hold, stay with me here. What if there is a small, basically a sample size of the U.S. Army? Not as surgical as the Navy SEALs where they're like coming in on their little dinghies. We're talking about a microcosm of the U.S. Army that is fast, can be deployed in a heartbeat. They're lethal. They're G.I. Joe. They're a mobile strike force. You would pull people from other divisions. Because the Navy SEALs, they're trained to be Navy SEALs. CCA XX1 would be, you would get the best people, like you'd get the best engineers. You'd get the best snipers. You'd get the best infantrymen. You'd get the best drivers. You'd get the best helicopter pilots. You'd get the best of the best, and you'd assemble them in Combat Command A, which was a fighting force, a completely, a completely modifiable fighting force. You bring them in there. You have them go on these missions, these small, hard strikes that require more force. You don't want to use that surgical strike. You want to smash an entire area. Whether or not CCA XX1 exists, I don't know. That's my hypothesis. If it does exist, has it been used? I don't know. That And see, this is the reason why I put off doing this episode for so long. I've never served in the military. I have a lot of friends and family who have served in the military. But this is a particular subject that I'm fairly weak on as far as how these things operate. You could say, Jason, that is completely ridiculous. There is no way, shape, or form that the military would want to make a small version of the army with the best of the best people, basically create G.I. Joe and have them go into an area. But if I'm on the right track, there basically is the army has created a mobile strike force, and that is the definition of G.I. Joe. Where G.I. Joe doesn't need a fleet of tanks. I'm I'm already second-guessing putting this episode out. G.I. Joe doesn't need a fleet of tanks. They need the best guys. They need the best four tank crews with the best four top-of-the-line experimental tanks. You don't need an entire helicopter attack wing. You just need the best helicopters with the best helicopter crews, the best engineers, the best people supporting that group. And you just move into an area and just, just just lay it out. Get out. You've left your calling card. Am I on the right track? I think so. But I could be wrong. This is my hypothesis. I'd like to hear back from you guys about this. Does America actually have a G.I. Joe? Does America actually have a modifiable force? Which that's what makes it different than the special forces we have. Where I know they will call in... Delta Force and stuff like that, they can call in other assets, but this one is basically a small version of the army that works on its own. Not like black, not like they just do whatever they want, but they are basically a small version of the army that has its own command structure, but they will go on their own missions to take these targets out. Special forces are more surgical and more specialized. These guys are basically a giant army 
as a microcosm, as a full-on fighting force that can support itself and not need to have these giant theater engagements. CCA XX1, I think that's a legitimate guess. I think that that is what it is. And I don't think that the FBI is going to knock down my door because everything I've found is available online. So there we go. Am I on the right track? I think so. And if I'm on the right track, honestly, that's pretty awesome. But again, dealing with the military is not in my is not one of my strong suits as far as a knowledge base goes. So I'd be happy to hear your guys' opinions too. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.